Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Jim Hoven with the Positive Impact Podcast, and I am telling you what, you are in for an incredible ride today. I get to visit with one of uh, the nations, in my estimation, one of the nation's highest esteemed soccer athletes, female soccer athletes. Her name is Brittany Bach. And if you're a soccer connoisseur, I'm sure you know her. She played both uh, amateurly at the highest levels, as well as on the Olympic team, junior nationals teams, all these different teams. And she played pro for several years. And we just have a thrilling conversation about life, about injury, about what it's like to take things to the to the extreme and the, the ultimate level. So stay tuned, buckle up, and we are going to have an incredible hour-long ride together. Well, this is truly an honor. I am super excited to be sitting by, I would say, an incredibly decorated athlete, but even better person. I uh, am super proud of what we're able to do and learn and get together with on today, because I know from the, the bit that we've talked, this is our second time meeting, yep. and uh, I'm just super pumped on, on introducing you, Brittany, and then going through an incredible podcast of giving information to all the people listening. So for those of you who have never heard the name Brittany Bach, I tell you, she is an icon in my mind in the in international national soccer scene. I'm going to give just a little bit of background, but I want to save that for you. Okay. And I think it transitions really well into where this podcast is going to go. So first, um, Brittany, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Oh, thank it. you so much for having me. Yeah. When we talked the first time, I was like, oh, I want to talk to you more. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> well, I just loved our conversation. And so. it's so good. And thank you, by the way, for coming in. I know it's not beautiful weather outside. You brave the elements in the traffic. <laughs> so we will give everyone listening absolutely the best, best stuff they can get from today. Yeah. All right. All right. So you were born when just after I graduated high school. Oh. I graduated in 85. You're born in 87, yep. right? In Illinois. Mm -hmm. And you grew up playing soccer. How did you get into soccer? How did that start for you? So we played, my parents, I have an older sister and a younger brother, and they put us into any sport mm -hmm. that we wanted to play. Um, so gosh, five, I think is when I started playing soccer. I played basketball. Middle school, I did some volleyball, ran track. Um, I just wanted to play all the sports. Like if I could literally play everyone, I would. But okay. soccer became really my main sport pretty early on, but I still did other sports. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was eight years old, we started traveling all over the country. Uh, our team was called the Pink Panthers. The Pink Panthers. The Pink Panthers. Wow. We had soccer ball shorts <laughs> and these pink jerseys. And then it, it, it eventually um, evolved into different jerseys. But uh, I w would play with the guys. I I just loved competing. And Did you so know that you were really talented, like better than the other kids pretty early? Was that pretty obvious or... I, I mean, yes, I I just had this drive. Like they called mm. me the Tasmanian devil. Like I just, I was hungry, I wanted to compete. I am a competitor, I am intense and I love to play. Mm -hmm. So skill wise, I wasn't the most skilled, but I worked hard. Gotcha. And I actually, when I was eight years old, I remember my coach saying, you know, you don't have to be, like be good at everything, but be mm. the best at one thing. And so for me, that talent was heading. And so in soccer as a female, I'm, I ended up being 5'7", um, once I finally grew to my height. Not extremely tall, but in the women's game, like I was one of the best in the world at heading. Wow. And so I took that with me and worked on other skills and everything, but that is really what set me apart 
later on in my career. Interesting. You know, I, I got to ask this. So I'm a chiropractor by training. Yeah. And so I've treated a lot of different athletes, elite level, recreational, and interesting enough, a lot of car crash people, people that have had trauma. And one of the common things, whether I was working with a football player, uh, some gymnasts or an auto accident stuff is concussion stuff. And it always interests me with the heading game mm -hmm. part of soccer. I can't imagine. Now, I never played soccer. I played football, but I would rather have contact all day than put my head under a ball that's been kicked by a dude like 60 yards away. I can't imagine what that feels like and how it wrecks you. Well, I tell you what, I, I actually had a brain map done last year. Oh. And if you saw it, it, it's like, whoa. Really? So there's probably more testing I can go, and there's a lot of... I mean, soccer is probably worse than football with mm -hmm. concussions. Agreed. And so punting balls. But I I had very good form. Um, a lot of times when you're younger and you don't have good form, like your neck gets shoved back. So um, definitely when you first start heading, I'm like, oh, I'm bruised. But I was so good to where balls, punting, people would shoot a free kick, and I would stick my head in front of it. Wow. I was just like, I wanted to be this like warrior, gladiator. Yeah, gladiator superstar. Player. So like for <laughs> me, but I was just like, I wish I would have protected myself a bit more. What do you and think of that? Should, should they do anything with that in the game? Well, they're already doing, and I don't really know okay. um, where it's at now, but mm -hmm. to a certain age, they don't let people, they don't let kids head. I mean, they tried the, oh, I forget what it was called, um, but they'd put a band on the head. But for me, I had so much control with my head. Mm -hmm. At times I joked around, like I have more control with my head than I do my feet. Wow. I scored 46 goals in college and 23 were with my head. Half of your goals. Yeah. So like I just had so much control and in the game, I just, it was my thing. So I'm like, I don't want to wear this thing yes. on my head. Then I don't have the control. What about mouthpiece? Did you wear, wear oh a mouthpiece? Gosh. No. And I got... I should have. There were some players that did. Um, but even with heading, like the jaw, you know, moving and everything. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten ball shot in my face, chipped my bottom five <laughs> teeth, and I literally like, spit my teeth. I'm like. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so like I should have. I should have. But I'm like, then I can't talk and breathe. As so I was just probably right. stubborn. Is that common for the higher level athletes? Because I never see soccer players wearing mouth guards, but yeah, I know. You, we sh I don't know why we don't. Especially like, for the heading, because that does offset some oh concussive forces, right? When Absolutely. you when you take a ball, if it can go through something Absolutely. as opposed to just your jaw in your head. Oh yeah, and you, and you get hit in the head here and like everything, yeah. So I mean, honestly, I, looking back, I I wish I would have. I I think one of my years we got a really thin one. Mm -hmm. um, I did have one teammate, Jill Krivisek. She would wear a mouth guard and she'd always take it out and do whatever. And that was like, she was the only one. And I'm surprised none of us did more of that. That was back in college. Interesting. Yeah, that was literally the only wow. person I remember. Did you grow up as playing soccer? Uh, I have this deep fascination with performance and injury and the relation between the two. Because again, you know, my diplomate was in sports injuries. Mm. And so seeing that kind of work its way through, I treated so many athletes who we would try to help their performance, but part of it was keeping them on the field. Mm -hmm. Did you have to get treatment? I know you've had a bunch of surgeries and we'll kind of get to that, but when you're younger, did you know, or were you just so healthy and responsive that you didn't really have to get anything done, even though you're falling and diving and heading and all that stuff? I feel like I was constantly like an ice pack everywhere. You were? I rug, like I would be sliding. I mm -hmm. had things that I had to cover up that was like, I had to bandage up things. I was <laughs> constantly getting, but I was just fearless. Mm -hmm. And so there's pictures that you'll see as a young kid. And I'm like, left my feet diving into plays. And so I had to take some time off, but I would push through a lot. Okay. Which 
ultimately in the end of my career, like I needed to learn how to take a step back. I was not one of those players where it's like you need to force them the one to practice mm -hmm. and like, okay, well, we really need to. I was one that you needed to like pull off the field. Yes. So. And it served you well. Yeah. Did you know, when did you know that you wanted to chase the Olympic dream as opposed to just going to college or anything of that nature? Yeah. I, I think when I was really young, I just, I watching, I had a lot of guy, um, like Michael Jordan, Walter Payton. I had these like world-class athletes mm -hmm. that I looked up to. Um, and then watching again, probably because of concussions, I don't really remember, um, a lot of stuff like li literally don't, wow. but I do know there was a specific time, uh, 13 or 14 years old. So I'd played state team, regional team and national team. And, I went to a camp and it was actually my first, it was like a four regions were there and they had classroom sessions along with soccer. And all I wanted to do, I was like, I just want to play. I don't want to go learn. Uh, but that ended up being the only thing I remember from that camp in the sense that they talked about setting goals and, and they talked about a runner and he put the goal up that he wanted and then he went out and worked. And so what I did is I found a poster of the U.S. Women's National Team with their gold medals on. And oh. I, I had bunk bed at the time with my sister, so I was the bottom bunk. And I put up uh, that poster right above me, and then I ripped off like a cardboard box, and I wrote National Team, Just Do It. And That's like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, and I, even the little glow-in-the-dark stars, like I had little baby ones, and I lined it with national team so that every night, the last thing I saw was burning in my brain national team and then the wow. poster. And then the first thing I saw when I woke up and I'd like sleep with a little soccer ball and my feet, those little pillows, like I was obsessed. I loved soccer, I loved my team. Um, but I, it wasn't just, oh, I wanna play professionally. It was, I wanna play in the Olympics. I want to gold medal. Like I, I saw it, I, I like would close my eyes and see myself scoring the goal. And the funny thing is, I didn't, like, the way I scored the winning goal wasn't this beautiful shot. It was me doing a diving header smashing into the pole. And I'm like, can I just, why, why do I feel, I feel like I have to be a warrior in it, but that's just, like, the way I played. So walk us through that that scenario, the winning goal. Give us the, the template, the background leading yeah. up to that moment. Yeah, so uh, there's just a couple times I close my eyes because imagery is a huge thing. And, Did you know that as a kid, imagery? Um, I, you know... I remember doing a shootout. So part of the tournament that we had back when back in Illinois, it was the Rockford shootout. I don't even remember what it was called, but they'd have a PK competition. So it wasn't related to the to the game, and every team would shoot. Maybe it was 10, 11 PKs, uh, penalty kicks, mm -hmm. and yeah. And so I think I was playing up with my sister on my sister's team, and coach comes up to me. He's like, "All right." Oh no, anyways, I'll tell the backstory, but I ended up going, shooting, and we won. And my mom's like, what did you do? Like, what did you do? And I go, well, coach said, pick a place and shoot it there. And like, I'm like, yeah, it's simple now. I feel like <laughs> these are so hard, even at the professional level. Um, but it was just starting to like envision where I was shooting it and envision where I was seeing it. And so I think I think our coaches took us through some things, um, but to like really feel it and and even like stepping foot on the grass. And so I don't know if I, if we were taught taught it. I know for a while it wasn't. Um, but when we got later into college professional and how important that was. But with the with the goal. Um, it was like a cross, it was a corner kick. 
So and what's the circumstances? What what level? No, actually, where are we at? This is national team. This is national World team. Cup. Like World this, Cup. No, 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 not World Cup. Olympics. Okay. But it was just the. It was raining. For I for some reason always love to put myself in a situation. Gladiator is one of my favorite movies. Okay. So I always, I drive a Gladiator. I, by the way, it's, <laughs> I can't I go just, without it. Yeah, I just love like the warrior yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was a corner kick. Okay. And I do a diving header from the side, and I like smash into the side of the pole. I'm like, why? I don't know why I like to do that and put that. Like, why couldn't I just? But I think that that really um, is interesting to think about the injuries that I had. That it's almost like I felt I always had to overcome that mm-hmm. instead of now where I'm at in my life, shifting my mindset mm. that I don't have to suffer to be good. Oh, that's a big thing. We get, we got to hit on that. And yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, going back just a little bit to the visualization thing, I remember I, I, my sport playing uh, growing up, I had two sports. One was football and one was tennis. And so I was a tennis guy in the summer, football guy in the fall, and um, you know played from seven and was a decent player or whatever. And I remember in high school that I'd gotten an interception. I was a linebacker on defense and played on offense as well. But on defense, I ended up getting an interception, and yeah. then I got an interception. And then all of a sudden – it was an expectation where literally I remember, and, and I'm 52 now, but I remember laying in my bed the night before a game going, I'm going to get an interception and score. And I saw it in my mind. I didn't know how it was going to happen. It just showed up. And when you know, the next game, that next day, ball comes into my hands. I'm like, holy crap, here it is. Mm-hmm. And it's in my hands and I'm running, weaving my way and I score the touchdown. And I couldn't help but think, is this what deja vu is? Yeah. And that mental side is so important. You but you saw that as even as a child. You just didn't really know why or it wasn't yeah. instilled so much well, by anyone. And I think, too, like when we have mistakes, when we make a mistake, which happens all the time when we're playing, um, but instead of focusing like, oh, I, I made this mistake and that, then try to, or with injuries, this was actually some training I did um, to overcome some of my injuries and the trauma from that. But go back to that moment. Um, And so when I couldn't play too, but go into a moment and literally like see yourself running and moving. And if I go, for me, it was getting past an injury a lot of times um, because I do that and I could feel my ankle pop it, you know, like, and I I could feel the pain in it, um, was go back through that, take yourself there and change the outcome and change the outcome and change the outcome. So when you're doing imagery and you're wanting to do it, I, I've, I've listened to so many I've li- podcasts where these uh, ski jumpers that are doing all these flips and all that, they literally are doing every single movement where if they were injured, their body already knew every single movement, every flip they were taking it through. And it's crazy that muscle memory that comes. So whether you're um, something you've never seen before that you're doing or you're trying to overcome something that you've that you've been through and changing the outcome so that you're, the trauma related to it isn't that trauma. So interesting because a lot of people listening to this will be experiencing at some level neck pain or back pain mm-hmm. or some post-injury stuff or they might be chronic or even an acute injury. I think I hearing you, I, I'm hearing you say that one way to get past that from a, a mental perspective is to go back and see what happened before the sports injury, before the car crash, before the fall, and how your body was reacting and then walk it through a different scenario and a different outcome where you didn't get hurt? Is that kind of well, what you're saying? Well, there's counselors and therapists that can really walk you through that. But for me, um, you know, moving forward, if I'm like, oh, I'm afraid to go do this, 
So we live in fear because we're like, what if I step here and I roll my ankle again? Or what if something happens? And if we're constantly living in that fear, the chemical, like our body's not, it holds on to that. And so for me, um, going back and when I say changing it, it's just like, what story am I telling myself? Um, Because I've held on to a lot of things in the past and it did not serve me well. And so trying to move forward from that, uh, the imagery in the game or the imagery when you're doing something, you start to, what we think in our mind becomes our thoughts, becomes our actions, becomes our beliefs. And so just been a lot more mindful of that, uh, especially more recently after now that I'm not playing soccer anymore. So it helps serve me in the game to do the imagery and everything. Um, But that mental state is so important where I had it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I had it in a lot of ways, and I think that there's, I could have done a lot more work, and that's why I like to help people with that too, Mm because if we're not aware of it, we could easily go down a path in our thought, in our mind. A spiral circle, right? A downward spiral. You can't perform, and then you're mentally stressed, and then you're in pain, and then you can't perform, and then you're mentally stressed more, and then your Mm -hmm. pain doesn't go away. Yeah, I think taking those breaks is important. I know on the treating side, we call it movement repatterning. Mm-hmm. And so if someone were to be going through an injury again, whether it be sports related or fall or accident or whatever, there's a mechanical stimulus, there's a mental stimulus like mm-hmm. what you're talking about, and there's a repetitive motion, or we call it grooving emotion. Mm-hmm. And so if you're worried about rolling your ankle, what muscles, what movements are engaged in rolling an ankle? Let's get those, break that sequence into small pieces and then master each piece. Yeah. So now you see the movement, you perform the movement in small pieces at slow speeds, and then you gradually uptick it so that now you're performing it in real time or under load. And create that muscle memory. Create the muscle memory. Yeah. That's beautiful. So now if we go back, you were a warrior, like you say. You mm-hmm. love that concept. You love the grind of it, the training. You got hurt a lot. Like mm-hmm. I think 11 surgeries mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. From soccer, yeah. From soccer. Was there... Um, so I know your attitude. You've been really, really clear about the attitude. Was there one of those surgeries that was particularly difficult to come back from or, or really got in your head more than another's? And, and explain that for me. So I played in college, had a lot of injuries. Like we, we joke about my chart being this big. But I <laughs> you had three charts. A lot. I know, I literally, <laughs> our trainers. Um, but I always was like, I'm going to come back stronger. I'm going to come back. And almost like I felt invincible. And so I'd push through these things. And I was in a lot of pain throughout a lot of my career, but then had, but had a very successful career in the sense of um, accomplishments. But um, it was my second to last year. So it was 2014. And I was playing for the Houston Dash. So up until this point, I had played. I'd won championship. I'd won the league. With yeah, and you were national. You were in the national finals with Notre Dame, right? Yeah. So we you were scored in, the only goal. Yeah. In in your national in your national final game. Yeah, we actually. So going to Notre Dame, I was like, I want to win four national championships. Like that's going to college, play soccer, and of course, like my faith is really important to me. Um, I wanted to get a, a great education. So and it was two hours from home. So that's where Notre Dame really. I was just like, oh, it just felt right, and it's right. just so beautiful. Um, and the other school that I'd grown up wanting to go to had a bunch of gear was North Carolina. Okay. North Carolina has won. If there's 30 national championships, I think North Carolina's won 21 of them. Wow. So, they so they're a, a juggernaut. Yes. Like they have been – Anson was the coach of the national team. He, Yeah. So the program there, like you know like that is a soccer school. So with Notre Dame, I was either going to go to Notre Dame or North Carolina. 
and it just felt right in my heart to to go to Notre Dame, and I and I don't regret it, but I it is. I do get like, Argh. we played North Carolina five times in my career that I was there. We tied them once, beat them twice, lost twice. The two times we lost were in North Carolina in the national championship game, two to one both times. What? So I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So we went to the final four, four to, three times, and, and we lost the, basically the champion every year. Because anyways, I like that. And my senior year, we were undefeated. And I had sprained my MCL about a, a month before the final four. And obviously we hadn't made it yet. Right. So I was just shooting, like getting to play any way that I could. And so that was really hard because I, I wasn't at full. Mm-hmm. So that was a challenging injury in the sense that I felt like I just, I, I couldn't, I felt like I was a senior and this is it. Um, but moving on to the pros. So right out of that Right out of there, um, I was graduating 2009, so 2008 was my last season, and the pro league was starting up. And you were drafted fifth. Fifth overall. That's amazing. Yeah. You'd like a first round first You know round. what's crazy is because, like, I, I knew. You knew who was going first, who was going second. Like, these names were thrown around, and I was like, hey, is my name being – and I wasn't this flashy, flashy player. And, and to, to that point, I'd been into – I was youth national team from U15 – to U16, U17, U19, or U20 World Cup. So I played a World Cup in Russia for the U20 national team, U21s, 23. So I was in that program. In the mix the entire time. In the entire mix time. the entire time. Yeah. Um, but I constantly was like, I've got to be better. I've got to be better. So I, I was never like, oh, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge part of right. athletes to, to drive. Absolutely. So um, my rookie season in the pros. Yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, I know I'm good enough, but I, I my name hasn't been thrown around and um, as much. And so I was at the draft. And normally my mom would come with me, but she was part of her business. She was actually walking the stage as part of her business for being boss lady. Um, and my dad couldn't come. He couldn't get out of work. And so I just remember um, I was, oh, this was such a cool experience, but I was front row with some of my uh, either Notre Dame teammates or national team teammates that I'd been. And so we were sitting in the front row and they've got the draft and they got everything um, up and set. And and first round, or I mean not first round, first team, second team, third team, and as they're going. And coming up between fourth and fifth, um, Charlie Nemo, he, he was the managing director of LA Soul. And he kneels in front of me and he was just like, Hey, uh, Brittany, it's Charlie Namo with Los Angeles Soul. Just want to let you know we're picking you up next. And I was like, <laughs> oh. I was like, uh, and then I turned. I was like, what did he just say? My, I started like my everything was pounding. I hadn't prepared anything because I, I, my name wasn't being thrown around, but I like believed that I would be. Like, wow, I, you know how you get that feeling where you're like, you just you you believe so much. Like, mm-hmm. I know it. I know I can. Um, and so that came, and I was, just, I was like, "Ooh, it gets me a little emotional." Because, like, what a special moment! Incredible, um, and nobody gets to feel that. You, you oh realize how like rarefied air that is in every sport. First round of any sport happens once a year. How many teams in that league? For their seven, now there's ten. So, so. you were the top five out of the top ten. You were like the yeah one tenth of one percentile. What yeah. an incredible feeling! Yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing, and um, but then it you know it doesn't you get picked, 
you get drafted, but then it's time to work. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I know I'm a little off topic from that from the injury, but yeah, yeah, we'll come back to it. But yeah, I I had prepared so much. So my second semester senior year of college, like that could have been like, hey, it's college. I finally get to. I don't have soccer. I don't have whatever. And but I was so I'd wake up early. I'd go train on my own. I was so determined because it wasn't just college. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just pro. Like my goal was national team. So I was driven and I remember just training. And when I show up in LA, I mean, we have, and I played forward and center mid in college. Um, I think my, my best position is a holding mid. It's just strong in the air, distribute to my playmakers. Um, but I loved getting in the attack. Right. But at that level, our midfield was Shannon Box with US Women's National Team, Ali Wagner, Ayamiyama, Japanese national team like captain, um, Camille Abelie, French national team captain. So I'm like, wow. midfield was stacked. Our forward, Marta. She won FIFA Player of the Year. It was like the Messi of women's soccer five years in a row. Wow. So like for me to break into the attack, I was just, I'm like, well, no, I'm I'm respecting them, but I want to play. I didn't mm-hmm. come here to just sit the bench. So um, five days before opening game, inaugural game of the inaugural season of the WPS, Women's Professional Soccer, um, I... One of my, my coach came to me. He's like, hey, Britt, how do you feel about center back? I'm like, how do I feel about center back? I don't want to play center back. Like, I've never <laughs> played center back. Like, I want to go play in the attack, but I want to play. And so five days before the game, we get that. I'm just, like, aggressive, and I step always. So I'm sure my back line was like, oh, Bach. <laughs> like, yeah. I probably created You're a, killing me, a bigger headache. <laughs> but um, opening game was 15,000 people in the Home Depot Center. We're playing against – and not only am I playing center back, but – First opponent is against arguably the best person in the world in heading, Abby Wambach. Wow. So it was like, welcome to the pros. Her and Lisa Devanna, who is a speedster from Australia. So I was just like, okay, I've prepared myself. Now it's time to perform. Um, So what a blessing. And I I battled that whole year with two foot injuries. One happened in March and one happened in May. So, But that first game got me called into the national team. I played that entire year with the U.S. national team. That's incredible. And was battling through these these two feet issues, but I was just adrenaline, right? Right. <laughs> like you, like I was just like, and I, I kept hearing, "Be patient, be patient, be patient." But I'm like, how many times are you going to get called into the national team? Um, but I played that entire year. We won the league with LA Soul, and I was in the national team the whole year. And so that was really that really put me on the mark. Um, oh and, wow. And, and, yeah. Um, but so it, you played for a lot of teams, and you go through mm-hmm. this thing, and then you were the the first pick in a supplemental draft of a new league or something. Is that where you got hurt in the Houston thing? No. So I actually, after L.A., had double foot surgery. Wow. Out of that, like, so one season ended, surgery in November, and then one in January. And coming out in January, we get news that our team has folded. So I just had two surgeries. I'm like, who is going to pick me up? But obviously, I had a good a good season, and then LA folds, and so I go to DC, and DC gets bought out, um, and and I did get picked up and played there, um, and DC gets bought out the next year, and then I play for Western New York Flash again, playing with a stud team. I had a really good year, super healthy, managing all my injuries. We won the league, we won the championship. So it was just that's how the the nature of the league was, um, which was frustrating um, but at the same time like we are helping build this for future generations right so we are part of this then the league folds completely in 2012 which was the olympic year okay um and then i was just like 
I and I ended up going overseas because I was like, I'm not going to play semi-pro. Like, my goal is Olympics. It wasn't just pro. So I go overseas. And then in 2013, new management, new league, which still stands today, is the NWSL, okay. National Women's Soccer League. How many teams in that league? Oh, my gosh. You think I, I think there's eight now. Eight I so, could be wrong. So I, is it doing well? Is the league doing okay? It's doing better. Women Good. are getting um, better pay. It's still Good. not to wear, but I know that they've done a lot to, to fight for that. Right. Because, um, yeah, the the pay is even a first-round draft pick. It's like... That was a big deal in the World Cup, right? That they made oh, that team made yeah. a statement, the women's yeah. team, as they were trompsing their way to mm-hmm. victory throughout that tournament. Mm-hmm. Which that is a lot a, to deal with when you're yeah. trying to perform as well. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I'm just grateful and blessed to play, to have been able to play a sport for my career. Right. Um, it definitely was rough, and with the injuries. Um, and that biggest injury, what was that that big one? Yeah. That, so that, then, in Houston? Um, I had gone through the year before in 2013 some broken ribs, broken concussions, broken wrist, um, had plate and screws put in, and it was, and I kept playing through some of these things, but it was just, it was rough. Um, so I was thinking about maybe stepping away from soccer. And I was just going to take a break and let my body heal, which was hard because I loved the sport. But mm-hmm. through, I think it was eight surgeries up until that point, um, it was just a lot on my body and a lot of moving. Um, and so first game of Houston. So Houston became uh, an expansion team. And it was my college coach, Randy Waldrum from Notre Dame. So he picked me up. And I was like, oh, you know what? Fresh start. Fresh start. Um in a city that, like, yeah, they just really poured into us. Houston, I loved Houston. I was there for two years. Um, my parents come. My agent comes from Phoenix, coming there for opening game. Um, just really excited for this season and a new, new beginning. And you know how time just slows down in moments? So I remember it was a minute 28 into the game, and you have that adrenaline and everything, and, and it's pumping. And there was a, a pass that came across, and I went to step to meet another gal, um, Allie Long, on the opposite team. And I didn't, we didn't barely touch. I think maybe we touched shoulders, but I was running beside her to just keep her, and my, my knee just goes. And I just stopped dead in my tracks, didn't hurt. And I was like, what was that? And so I remember, like, I kneel down, and in my head, I'm like, this can't be happening. Like, that didn't just happen. I'm like, and you hear this inner dialogue. The crowd starts to get, like, super far and, f- like, foggy almost. Yeah. But I can almost hear the blades of grass as I'm walking. Like, wow. that is how much time slowed down. I'm like, that can't be happening. Walk it off, Britt. You're fine. And, like, they ran past us. We're tacking us on goal. And my teammates are like, Buck! They had no idea. So I, I, I like, kind of am, like, in a zone. I walk off the field. Um or they stop it, then I walk off the field, and then when I come back on, or they tested my knee, and they did the, the ACL test. I have a yes. lot of muscle in my legs, right. so it tends to just protect. Right. And they said, no, it's solid. And I'm like, something's not right, but thought I hyperextended it. We taped me up. I went back on the field for another 10, maybe maybe 8 to 10 minutes, buckled seven, eight more times, went up for a header, buckled, went into a tackle, buckled, went into – like it kept buckling, and I, I was like trying so hard. Um and I was so embarrassed because the injuries leading up to it, if Bach can just stay healthy. And I was like, you think I want to be hurt? But I just tried right. to push through. And so that I just remember, like, I literally can't. I can't. I, I wanted so bad to try and play. So anyways, that ended up tearing my ACL. Um, so I I just 
couldn't do it anymore, was out mm-hmm. that season, um, came back and had some rough things coming back from that. And I was like, I'm going to be the next Adrian Peterson. Like, I'm going to come back stronger. And because of the combination of six foot, five foot surgeries, hip scopes, double hernia, like the way I was, I, I comp, really good at compensating right. as athletes. Like right. we are really good at compensating to find ways to do it. Yeah. And so I, instead of just taking time and like loving on my body and being patient, I was like, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta do it. Um, and, and it served me well to get me to the level that it did, but ultimately right. too was the end of, was the end what of What a career. great lesson for people listening if they are going through something and whether it's physical or emotional or mental, those traumas, they linger, yeah. right? And if we don't do whatever it takes to get back, even if it's, you know, we all have our Olympics, we all have our Olympic teams, we all have those things that we're moving toward. And so if it's just providing for your family or if it's taking care of your kids, those are our Olympic sports, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Our national teams. And if we don't take the time to really focus on our wellness, mental, physical, spiritual, all that stuff in some way to recover from the grind, I think it leads to that same kind of thing of, of it could be whether it's overtraining or whether it's a predisposition to injury, it, it all blends the same. So what you're saying can be literally taken and transposed into every area of life, I think is, is what I'm hearing from you and what I'm getting. Oh, absolutely. It, it can linger on. And if we don't deal with it, we try to push it under a rug, mm-hmm. but that will surface up in different ways. And it may be an anger and it may be, I was anger. I was angry and bitter and jealous of those who could play for a couple of years. I couldn't even watch the sport. Like I wanted to disappear. Wow. So, because I didn't like really work through that. And so people placed, I place my identity in soccer. Yeah. People place their identity in their work or in something. And maybe because they don't want to deal with stuff going on. But when we place our identity in, in what we're doing instead of who we are, that, that can really affect a lot of relationships, right. that performance. So yeah, take that away or challenge that. And then your identity, you don't know who you are. And, yes. Wow. So that's a big thing that uh, through the past uh, four years that I haven't been playing is like, really working on my mindset and knowing like, yeah, I played soccer, but that's not who I am. Right. Like, I, I want to delve into that actually. Yeah. And before I do, I don't want to forget this. I was looking through um, from us talking, I'm so interested in your career and just what you've done. You've started an ACL program. And, my friend did, yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. Was that as a result of this critically crippling injury for you, how you connect to that thing? Because it looks like a pretty cool it's program. Jordan Angeli, she is just, she lives here in Colorado. She's amazing. She's had three ACLs, nine surgeries on it. And wow. that ultimately, so we played on the U20 national team together and she played at Santa Clara and just knew each other throughout our career past, especially sophomore year of college. Um, and she created the ACL club, which is people who have torn their ACL because it is not just a physical battle and every story is different, but she has people share their stories and there's a community of people. And so that's where me with my injuries and stuff, me being uh, tearing my ACL and being just a big, big advocate for wanting to just help athletes mentally, physically, emotionally. So what Jordan's doing, I'm kind of like a, a side little part to that but that's my idea of like surrendered strength is what I call it is just like this this movement of yeah we can do what we need physically right we can do the exercise and all that but it's mentally 
you're you're not connected to your team or if you're not even on a team in your work you can't perform the things that you need and want to do and so I think that whole movement I mean it's such a beautiful thing um, because when you bring I think suffering suffering is a beautiful thing it is a a challenging thing Um, but when we suffer well and we really see like there's people suffering everywhere Mm -hmm. and so when we can take our pain and it becomes our purpose. I truly believe that's what it's meant to be. Right. It and transforms so, suffering. It does. Then suffering becomes a yes. blessing yes. And, and a gift as opposed to it's how we look and how we feel about that thing. We just relabel it, right? It mm-hmm. might be the same feeling, but we transmute the name and the semantics. And now it becomes a teacher, a tool, uh, you know, something to, to make people's lives better, including our own. Mm-hmm. So are you now with, as far as that goes, coming kind of back to your identity, are you still playing soccer at all mm-hmm. or does your body say no? Or, or like I played a lot of competitive volleyball from the time I got into college for a long, long time after that. And there, if I was seeing someone playing at a barbecue or something, I couldn't do it because it just didn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel right. You know what I mean? But then I started playing soccer as a 30 some year old. And then I was totally fine because I was out there for a workout and I was... It wasn't your... It, yeah, yeah. So I didn't care if people were exactly on point and if this... I was just running around and, and having my competitive juice flowing. Does soccer play a role in your life now? And as you've transmuted your identity from soccer to you as Brittany, I want to know what that looks like. Yeah. Um, it has been... I mean, it has brought me to my knees. I, I was so f- angry and frustrated because I'm like, why? Like, I poured in everything, um, as a lot of athletes do, especially chasing after the Olympics or something. Um, And I never, I felt like I never got to to do that, to reach my goal. And so that was one thing is like, I started to see my career as a failure. Well, after all that. Yeah, no, I started to see like all the things I didn't do. And like, instead of seeing, wow, and people would try to remind me, but I was Mm -hmm. so like hard on myself and no, and then embarrassed. And so this goes to really like pride and ego. Um, I wasn't a cocky player, but I was, I think sometimes I'm like, was I playing? Because I had to prove myself. But you think about when we're, when we're young, we get affirmed when we do something good. And then we feel loved because we get affirmed. So we think if I keep doing these good things, then I will be loved versus my identity that I am loved as I am. Wow, not, that's so brilliant. I am not loved because I do all these things. Like, I am love as I am who I am right now. And so I, I was really caught up in needing to perform and ne- needing to be good. And I wanted, like, almost like people-pleasing. But part of it is because I didn't want anyone to, like, I don't want to be mean to anyone and whatever. But, like, I people-pleased in, in so many different ways that I... It was because I, I wanted to teach or, um, treat people with respect and all that. But in the same sense... I wanted to I wanted to feel enough and that I was worthy and that I was good. And I love I grew up in a very wonderful family. So I'm very grateful for that. I know some people do not have that same blessing um of like a yeah, my parents were just they they supported us. Um my dad every day is like do something nice for somebody today and and it was more about who I was. Wow. They didn't really put that on me, but because as an as a as a daughter and I was like, I wanted to perform. Um, and so when I when I stopped playing, it was 2015, 
15 was my last season with the Houston Dash. And um, uh, they offered me a contract, but I knew my body. And I was like, I finally came to the realization, like, if I sign this contract, I will try to play. And I need to give my body rest. And so they offered me a contract, and I was like, I'm sorry. And and so anyways, long story short, there ended up being, and I didn't know this at the time, but then there was like a waiver, and so they had to waive me, and then there was a waiver draft, and Chicago ended up picking me up. So I'm from Chicago. So all of a sudden, like, people hear this, and they're like, Brittany, we can't wait to have you. And in my head, I'm like, I want to disappear. Like, I'm not, I probably won't play. And, I, and the coach knew that. Rory knew that. Um, he goes, but... If we'll have you, if we can, if you end up playing, then we want you. So anyways, it was one of those things like I was in Chicago for the off season. um, And then I just, I was like, I need to get away. Like I need to go somewhere where there's no pro team. I don't want to look at soccer. I don't want to follow it. Um, I moved here to Colorado because my sister lives here. And so I wanted to be around family, but just couldn't. I didn't want to be in Chicago. Right. Um, and I didn't want to stay in Houston where there's a team. So I ended up coming out here and honestly was just lost. Um, I kept looking at soccer stuff. And my dad's like, stop looking. But it was like an addicting and it was like yeah. my life. Right. Um, but it, it, it really brought a lot of pain to me. Um, it was really hard yeah. because I was like, I wanted it so bad. And I pushed my body so hard. And I'm like, then... Why do they get to be healthy and play? And so I became jealous of the girls who could play. Um, and I was just a competitor. So then I'm here. I literally remember being in the gym, like, I was at a 24-hour fitness, and I was trying to do a workout, and I was crying. I had a hat on, and I, was, I, was, I looked at myself like, this is what it comes to. Right. So it was one of those things I was like, all I want to do is compete. Oh, you're, yeah. I was like, all I want to do is compete, and I had poured so much. Um, and now that I just wasn't playing, I was in so much pain. I had had um, 11 surgeries. My body, I just felt it was broken. So that year was rough. And even the next, um, that 2016, but I had mentioned, like, I'm I'm a healer. I love to help people. Right. Um, and so I ended up mentioning to my sister, I'm, always, I'm like a touchy, I'm a really touchy-feely. I can't sit at a computer. Um, <laughs> I, I like to interact with people and, and help. And so I ended up going to massage school. Did you do that here in Colorado? Yeah. Which school did you go to? So MTIC, mm-hmm. Massage Therapy Institute of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and it was a 900-hour program, and it took about a year every Tuesday, Thursday. So anyways... Going through that, and of course, I'm like super, my brain sometimes, I was nervous to go back to school because I sometimes like I'll be looking at a microwave and the word microwave won't come out. I'm like, the thing. The thing. People joke around like, <laughs> oh, use your words, Bach. And I'm like, and it's frustrating because my, I, like, sometimes I get anxious and I can't speak out. So that challenge was one. Um, and physically, I couldn't, you know, I did some hiking and all that, but it was in pain. Um, but went to massage school. That brought a lot up. I mean, you're emotional. You're just, it's, it's a lot of work. Right. Physically, you're doing a lot. Then when we are working through stuff, the trauma of every injury would Absolutely. come back when, up. And you're, when you're getting work done, right? There's literally the body. It's fascinating to me. The body will hold on to the memories yes. in the cells and yes. in the tissues. 
And if you get really creative quality body work done, emotional response, you get emotional response, whether, and you get physical response. I would adjust people and man, it was amazing. They would start sweating like mm -hmm. crazy, you know, autonomic changes and, yeah. and the emotional things from certain type of, of massages and all that stuff. So yeah, I totally get it. So, oh, so anyway, carry no, on. No, no. And it was incredible. And so I went through that and that was a really stressful time and body was still hurting. And I don't think I'd ever really dealt with like, I should have gone to counseling earlier. I should have gone to therapy earlier, um, but I didn't. It was like, I just wished it, I just wanted it to go away. Like I was angry instead of like, okay, what are the little things I can do? I became bitter and angry. Um, and so graduated massage school, September of 2019, 2017, um, and you know, worked with athletes, and, but there was just a lot of pain in there. And it, and it was soccer I hadn't played. I think I tried to juggle a ball a couple of times. I remember going out to a field, juggling, uh, dribbling around and just doing things, crying as I was doing it. Wow. So like, it was still causing you oh, pain gosh. because of the lack of ability to do what you wanted well, the, to do. The, the ability and just the like, I want to play. Yes. So um, I, I don't, I didn't play. So 2000, yes, yeah, 16, 17, 18. It wasn't until this year, 2019 in March, that I finally played futsal with a group. And futsal is a type Indoor of- Indoor soccer. It's like with a, it's like a little heavier ball, but we played okay. on a basketball court, which maybe isn't the best. <laughs> Especially with all that pivoting and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I literally, it was funny, I remember this because that morning I did a box, I love boxing. I love boxing, just the workout and, yeah. uh, and getting anger out. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I need that, like, that. that's what soccer. I that was outlet, like, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, not just anger, but just, like, the physical Energy. Sense. Yeah. Um, but I boxed that morning, and then I played two back-to-back -back futsal games. And I'm like, I am not a spring chicken anymore. I hurt so bad. My injuries from my feet, my knee, um, not moving like I, like I used to. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. Because, but then part of me and my pride, and my ego, I was like, oh my gosh, I suck. But everyone else is like, are you kidding me? But that's just because I'm like, I expect so much more out of myself. Yes. So it was a beautiful thing and it was really fun. And this year, my goal was to fall back in love with soccer. And I had a girl that I was training and I, and I really, um, I took her, so I would train her with like mental performance coaching and with uh, soccer training. And so um, she, really helped me fall back in love just because of her joy and her mm. passion. Um, and for me, it's like, it's like fitness, faith, family, like I, it's like a whole part of me. And my faith is through the injuries has been the thing that I've fallen to. And that's really helped with the change and seeing who I am. Mm -hmm. But this girl, her name is Faith. Because I was, I was praying, increase my faith, increase my faith, because I just questioned a lot of things and I was angry. And not only did he did God like help restore me in a lot of ways? Um, but he sends me a girl named Faith. Named Faith, like, how ironic, wow, amazing. wow. Um, and so, yeah, um, I brought her to the national team game. I saw all the national team players where they, when they were here in April. And they all knew you. And they all, yeah, most all, and there's a couple younger ones that probably didn't, but like we, I got to go to their hotel and hug them and chat with them. So it was like such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I was like falling back in love with soccer. Um, truly. And I'd go to the field and I, I would smile when I was out of the field. And I just, I couldn't help. I was like a joyous kid playing again because that was the joy, the beautiful game. Um, and then about three, four weeks later, 
I break my foot not playing soccer, but I break my fifth metatarsal. Funny story about that. Not funny, but um, so not soccer related. It was my first injury, not soccer. And that just, I shut down for a bit. Okay. Why? Why? I was falling back in love with soccer. Like I was doing all the things. Um, Like why did this happen? And so I ended up hurt that in April. Four months, it still wasn't healed. Had to get a surgery in August. Uh, Plates and screws put in. But it was in that time when it was, um, I pick a word every year. Me too. Okay, yeah, what's oh, your, that's yeah, the what's best. Oh, my, I, my words, this is like my sixth year. And so my words have been everything from simplify was one word. And uh, this year I actually switched it so I don't go through every word, but yeah. this year I switch it to what it's called core four, that I want to focus cool. my all my energy, or at least the, the majority of my time on the core four things of trying to develop people, of learning, of teaching and growing. That if I can spend my time doing those, it's gonna help me live my, basically, I, I think everyone has a personal brand. Mm-hmm. And this is something I learned from a guy named Darren Hardy, who's a big teacher and you know trainer and that kind of thing. And so when I thought about it, he says, everyone has a personal brand. The only question you have to ask yourself is, is your brand what you want to reflect? Mm-hmm. Or is it what you're doing that people just see? And I'm like, I want to be intentional about my brand. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it and I wrote it out and I, I played with it and it's personal Im- uh, positive impact. That's my brand, positive yeah. impact. Yeah. So everything that I want to do, if I can stay in my strength zone 80% of the time, I will have a positive impact, I hope, on essentially all my relationships, all my circumstances. So that's my word of the year. So a- anyway, go yeah. back. It's no, not I about love me. It. Your no, word of I, the year. No, I love this. <laughs> um, no, my word for the year is grace. Grace. Yeah. And so for me, this unmerited favor and just receiving. So I'm very, I could be very hard on myself and I push through and I can do it and persevere. The last couple of years, I just felt like I'm not disciplined. Like what happened to the athlete in me? And, and so going back to that, like you have to prove your love. You just are loved. So for me, like receiving this grace, receiving God's grace, receiving just being kinder to my body, um, being, allowing myself to heal. Cause I used to be like my stupid knee and like, like I was just, ugh. Yeah. I was starting to be like being grateful for things. And it took, um, it was a rough year and like went through um, a breakup, which was hard cause we both care about each other. But it just wasn't working. Um, and the foot, and I'm like, I feel broken in every way. And a lot of the old triggers were coming back. And it was in that time where I think I really started to really work my mindset, the words that I tell myself, right? So we, I, I was very negative to myself and probably around to others. Like I had a lot of joy to me, mm. but I would be like that and I'd go home and I would just cry. So like I had... And I think part of it is I'm, I just, I want to help people. I want mm-hmm. to give. And I would do that in a lot of ways. And, and, and like truly from my heart. Um, but I was almost giving from an empty cup because I right. wasn't taking care refilled. of. Right. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And it was like, I wanted to help all these people. Um, so all the injuries, it just built up the compassion in me to want to help people. But when I finally took this time to like truly rest and change the verbiage and change the story I was telling myself and like a failure is like how was I using all of this suffering um and like we talked before and like how are we using it for me how am I using this pain as my purpose and so when I when I did a lot of work mentally 
um, emotionally and I did brain mapping and neurofeedback and went to counseling and therapy and, and got body work more. And, um, I started, cause I was depressed. I mean, this was a couple years ago, like it was bad. And, mm-hmm. um, but I started to realize like the foods we eat, people do not realize the foods that we eat, sugar and inflammation that it causes to our body and our brain. There's a chemical reaction. Like if you want to start getting a better mindset, a lot of people, I think depression, and there's times when people need, need to get medication and stuff. Like right. there definitely is times, but I truly believe if we take ownership, wake up, like get to bed earlier, drink more water. The food you eat is so important. It will fit, it will change your attitude. I had yes. a weekend probably a month ago. Um, I stayed at someone's house, my sister's house, uh, dog sitting, and I just, I let loose and ate not like just a bunch of crap. <laughs> and I felt crap. My brain went to a bad place. Foggy, right? Yes. And just not good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I was like, all right. I did a little experiment on myself. Like <laughs> Brain hack. I didn't even think I ate a vegetable. <laughs> like I just was like, ugh. So made me realize like the things, I, there's a lot that I can control. There's some things I can't control. And I think I was trying to control the things I couldn't control. And the things I could control, I was too stubborn. You and, let go. Yes. So I like flipped like, okay, the things I can't control, surrender it. Mm-hmm. Like let go of it. Um, and things I can control, be intentional with it. Drink so wine. good. Yeah. Did you track that or how did you do that, Brittany? I, did, you, did you pay attention to it or were you just mindful? Um, it was kind of both. Okay. So I journal a lot. So I definitely have journals. I mean, I have like 17 journals and, and like everything. I listen to podcasts. Um, Who's your favorite podcast? Oh man, I've been listening to Ed Milet. Okay. I just listened to Ed Milet on longevity. Fantastic, fantastic I um, love podcast. his stuff. In fact, I started, I forget when I started. It was earlier this year maybe I started listening to him, but I just, oh, I love, like, I'm like, I'm going to be on that podcast one day because like I yeah. just, I, I just, the people on there are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um and they're just raw and authentic and real. And it, from what I hear, you know, right. and uh, that really helped me. Um, I would listen to John Gordon, um, positive. Wow. What is it called? You know, I'm not familiar with John Gordon. I am totally blanking. Well, that's um, okay. Have you heard the energy bus or? I have heard of the energy okay. bus. Yes. Is that John Gordon? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, cool. Um, yeah, and he well, positive teams and so all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so I actually got to meet him this year, which was awesome. Um, but a lot of positive stuff. And um, Trent Shelton, I started listening to some stuff, but not not a ton. And then there's um, oh gosh, there's just some like faith ones that I really love to cool. listen to that really helped me. Father Mike Schmitz is a good um, one. So and so now you're investing in yourself. What I hear, yeah. you put so much time investing into your game, into your physicality, into your mental toughness. Now you've changed that um, investment, if mm-hmm. you will, into the softer side of things, but mm-hmm. you're still mentally tough. You have to co- overcome, but you're doing it through the soft side of, of lifestyle and of good choices and grace and giving yourself a break. Then all those are wonderful things. And where does that take you now? What are you doing? So you're a massage therapist, you um, work with athletes, mm-hmm. soccer or all athletes? All athletes, I'm at a place um, where I have the opportunity to work with some of the Broncos. I've worked on other professional athletes. What um, do you do with them? Is it soft tissue work or is it mindset or is it the combo thing? Oh, what, what's your... that's massage. Massage. Yeah, soft, okay. yeah. Soft tissue work, massage with, with the athletes. You had mm-hmm. faith that you were training. Is that something that you're still actively doing? Not you... training. Um, so once I broke my foot, like this whole year has been... 
um, that, but I've done some performance coaching mm-hmm. and some mindset work. So a lot of times, if I could, once I get on my feet more, I would love to do training through physical. Like I always wanted to be a, a personal trainer, and I've done a lot of stuff in that. Um, so with my mindset and mental training mm-hmm. is bring the physical side into it. Absolutely. Because that is just so big. Um, I massage, I have my own mobile business. So I, I have those clients and then I'm at Resilience Code where I have um, another clientele there. So with that though, constantly what I love, the beauty of it is when people are on the table, healing is a choice. Wow. Healing is a choice. And Tell me. I, well, because in my head, I was just, I was so stuck on an unhealthy mindset, thinking I'm always going to be this way. And I think a lot of people can get stuck, like, I'm always going to be this way. This is the way it's going to be. And yes, there are times when people can fully surrender it and they're still injured or they still have a sickness or they still have cancer or they still have something. And, but the, the healing isn't always physical. Right. You know, so I exactly. think like when we can be healed, because our, our bodies, I mean, we're physical bodies here and we're only here for a short time. So when we, um, there is something about being gr- being grateful mm-hmm. and how it changes the chemicals in the brain. Um, and so even if you are in pain, how to do that with grace, how to suffer well. Um, and so for me, I think it's full. It starts with the mind. And like to the heart into the body. So for me, like my brand, when you talk about like how you want to brand for me, it's truly helping transform lives, um, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so that starts with, I mean, I don't know, chicken or the egg, but like mindset and how are you eating and how are you moving? Because it all relates together. And it's not like this is the one thing and that didn't work. I'm going to try this. It's a little bit of everything. That's right. And it's different for every person. And so for me, just through the trauma, like the compassion I have to want to help people, I mean, it's like it's overflowing. And now I feel like I finally am in a good place. Like, And I helped people before, um, but it left me broken and drained. And so now that I've poured and invested into myself, now not only can I help people more, but I can give them more tools and this helped me and why don't you try this? So, wow. yeah, and I'm starting like there's, I'm starting to write a book and and have a mini podcast that I want to get going more. So there's there's things that I'm working on. Working on some cool Past projects. my own fears and stuff, yes. Yeah, I so. love it. We'll work on all this stuff together. Yeah. We're going to be lifetime friends. I can yes. feel it just from this amazing conversation. I, as we wind down, I want to ask you one kind of final question and I'll give it context. So for me, if, you know, now that I'm in my 50s, people, I have the chance to lead teams and lead people and go through different things. And people ask me, what's the biggest key towards success? And, and first thing we have to do is define what is success, success in what, right? And so everyone has a different definition and there's success in your job and in your relationships and in your faith. There's all these different forms and, and formats of it. So my thought was if I could only give one principle, if I could just give one for what makes a person quote unquote successful or happy, the one word that it keeps coming back to me is consistency. Mm-hmm. It's a multiplier in any kind of formula that you talk about yeah. with how things get done. Because for me, we're all consistent in what we're doing and that's what's getting us the entrenched results that we have. So we just look at is our result positive or negative or neutral and look at our habits, look at our patterns, look at our thoughts and the consistency of which we do those things. Sometimes consistency is inconsistent, Mm -hmm. right? I'm inconsistently working out, but I do that all the time, 
right? I only go once every three weeks. Well, that's a consistent, inconsistent pattern. So for me, that's that word mm -hmm. that really makes the biggest difference. Is there a word or a principle or a concept for you that you would want to share with our listeners that you just think, man, if people will master this one thing, it will, it will impact everything. Well, I think, and this has been in my mind and my heart a lot, because you look at success people, what does success mean? Like, be, be, okay, being successful means that you have a good job and career and you make money and you can go travel and you can do all this stuff and, or you're a professional athlete and you win a World Cup and the Olympics. And I think I really struggled because I was like, I felt like a failure because I didn't reach the Olympics. And so even after talking to several professional athletes who have won Super Bowls or uh, won the World Series that either did or they didn't, they're like, even when they got to the highest of what everyone thought was like, I made it, they're still left unfulfilled. Wow. And so that's part of what my podcast is what I'm looking to do is, is success is not about what we do. It's about who we are. And so success to me is, is, is passionately pursue, or pursuing your passions with conviction. Mm. Because I think a lot of times we do things because we're like, I need to do this to be successful. And they're actually like, they're falling away from like the true desires of their heart. And it may not look sexy to the world, what, what they're passionate about, right? Um, but I think there's, when, when you're pursuing the passions of your heart, I, I really feel like, and going after them with convictions and suffering well in it, because we're all gonna struggle, we're all gonna hit um, walls, we're all gonna go through adversity. And so coming out of that the other side and really uh, suffering well, I mean like, man, it's amazing. And then you have compassion for people. So for me, this idea of success, again, it's not about what you do and accomplish. Like that's not going to, you'll never be fulfilled. Mm. And it's about who you are and your identity. And so really searching for truth, I think, can help you pursue those passions. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Where can people find out more about you if they want to learn more and hear more of your story or, or get in touch with you? Yeah. So I have, uh, so social media, my Instagram is BritBock11. B-R-I-T or two T's? Two T's. So B-R-I-T-T-B-O-C-K. So Bach like the beer. Uh, one, one. That's my Instagram. And I'm on Facebook, uh, Brittany Bach. I have an athlete. I have a page there. Posts a lot. I just do a lot of encouraging stuff, and I'm I'm gonna start to do more video content too. Cool. Um, yeah, and then I have a website, BrittanyBach.com, which I'm working on. Um, but it's, it, that's gonna be a, a fun place to go. Nice. So. Well, I tell you what, I am so inspired. This has been amazing. I don't even know how long we've gone. It might be know, an hour, it might be 45, it might be three hours. I have no <laughs> idea. This has absolutely been amazing, though. And you know, you always know, or at least I always know, when I'm in a good conversation or a great relationship when I have more energy at the end of it than I did when I started. And mm -hmm. that's the case here. So Brittany, thank you so much. And I wish you nothing but the best and awesome success on your journey ahead. And I look forward to be a part of it in some way. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and to know you guys. So beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.